Since 1973, Tattoo Charlie's has been an established body modification studio in Kentucky. Featuring world-renowned artists and piercers, currently with locations on Preston Highway and in Lexington. A staple point in the tattoo community. Learn more at TattooCharlie's.com. Set up your appointment today at 7904 Preston Highway. Our tattoos are done while you wait. Hey, it's Jeff McNichol down here at Mom's Music, 1900 Melwood Avenue. I was just thinking, when I was a kid, the magic was at Frankfurt Avenue. The Mom's Music at Frankfurt Avenue. And I used to beg people to get a ride down there just to hang out with the guys and see all the cool gear. Now that I'm the owner of this store, it's like a dream come true. We're recreating the magic with the vibe that we used to have at the old store. We're carrying all the gear that you're going to possibly want. We're giving you the outstanding service and personal attention that you deserve. Yeah, so we've got the great guitar shop here. We're carrying USA Fender, USA Gibson, Paul Reed Smith, Gretsch, Jackson, Charvel, anything you could possibly want. We're going to have it for you. Mom's is and always will be Louisville's music store. It's Mark Maxwell at Maxwell's House of Music. Listen, all this stuff is now available to purchase on our website. Check it out at maxwellshouseofmusic.com. We carry all the top brands, like Fender. We got Gibson. We also have basses. We've got ukuleles. We've got drums. We've got sound gear. We've got keyboards. Thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge. I am Mark Jackson and I am your host. The premise of the show is pretty simple. Awesome interviews and awesome music. If you want to contact me, hit me up at MetalForgeRadio at gmail.com or visit the website MetalForgeRadio.com. And now, let's get this show on the road. What's going on, Metalheads? Thank you all for tuning in to the special Metal Forge bonus edition with my guest, Steve Gatros. This was recorded here last weekend, and I just, you know, I just bumped the volume up, cut out a little bit of dead air, and it's just a conversation between me and Steve. Steve is a local tattoo artist who's also done a comic book called The Elixir. He works at Spring Street Tattoo in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Links will be uh, listed below. Dude is awesome. I met him at a, um, at like a artist appreciation day at the Great Escape on Bardstown Road in Louisville, Kentucky, um, back about a year or so ago. And I picked up a copy of his book and it's completely great. Um, we talk about it in the interview. So I'm going to keep this short. Hope you like it. Uh, like I said, this is just as a bonus for you guys for listening to the show. Um, and I, you know, I appreciate it and thank you all so much. And, you know, send me some info. If you want more shows like this, that's awesome. But let's get into it. This is my interview and just general conversation with Steve Gatrost. All right, Metalheads, I am being joined right now in person. Hey, look, this is becoming a trend all of a sudden. Got another <laughs> in-person interview. 
Hopefully things are starting to get a little bit better for some people out there with Steve Gatrost. Steve is a local artist from Louisville, Kentucky. Steve, how you doing? Good. I'm good. Enjoying my Sunday. Enjoy, enjoying uh, getting to meet up with you and get out of uh, being a, uh, you know, kind of taking a break from running constantly. Right, because, you know, we're all people, we're all busy all the time, you know, by the time this is being recorded, and by the time you get to hear it, it might be a few days from now, but cool, but it's like 6 o'clock on a Sunday, we're just chilling out uh, at the tattoo shop where he works currently, yeah. uh, if you want to give him a shout out, you're more than welcome yeah, to. Yeah, it's Spring Street Tattoo in Jeffersonville, Indiana, it's the historic district of Jeffersonville. So if you want to come down and get some work done, call them and make an appointment. Yeah, or uh, you can hit my Instagram up. Yeah, uh, definitely. Just, you know, it's just uh, Steve Gatros, you know, in Instagram. I, I don't have a code name or any any it's, any. I'm not creative enough to come up with a cool name, so I nah, just use it's my It's just own. you. So I mean, <laughs> it's yeah, it's not some ridiculous art at. Man, I uh, yeah yeah that always. That always sets me back sometimes because I'll I'll forget people's actual names. Then you know, like we were talking earlier, I'll meet them through Instagram, and then I'll you know I've, I've almost like it's almost like I have to remember two names now, and I'm already bad at remembering names. Right. <laughs> what it it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the guy who does the patches for my band in the Metal Forge mm -hmm. is everybody knows him by his screen name and his yeah. business name. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those things. Shout out to UKR Patcher, by the way. <laughs> if you're friends with him on the social webs. Um, so, Steve, tell everybody out there in Metal Forge land, you know, what made you want to become an artist? What? When did you notice that, hey, I'm pretty good at this? Um, and I started drawing so young. It was like, but I really remember early on, like, I think like seven, drawing robot dinosaurs. You know, in second grade, like, I think that was around the time I was super into Transformers and stuff. Uh, I'm 43, so I was born in 77, so right on. this would have been the 80s. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it started moving into, uh, I started listening to a lot of music, and music has always been the album art. Skateboards and album art, those are, like, the two things that, like, I started reproducing, and then and it was just, like... I just, I don't know. Uh, it, it hit me probably 8th or ninth grade where I was like, I can maybe do this for a living. I can figure out a way to do this. And then I just started, you know, it, it, it really, I started really thinking about how I could do, do this. I got into like screen printing and stuff like that, graphic design, which um, at that point was still all done by hand. It wasn't really... There was people doing it with, um, you know, illustrator programs on the computer, but the internet wasn't the thing yet. So, right, right. You know, um, so a lot of, you know, cutting and pasting and things like that, which, it actually helped me transition into tattooing pretty easily. You know, right, because you already knew your knew how to do everything by hand as yep. opposed to on a screen, which, you you had said before, we had actually started recording that you're 100 percent old school. Yeah, this mm -hmm. you you your pen to paper guy and pencil to paper guy as yeah. opposed to using Photoshop and and stuff. Yeah, I, I love the feel of brushes, pens, pencils, you know, against paper, and I'm, you know, it's uh, I actually refer to it as like you know, pen and paint porn, you know, like right, you know, it's like I actually there are there are brushes that make me very happy, you know, and I'll and I'll 
I'll be painting with something and I'll text somebody and be like, dude, you got to check this brush out, you know, and it's such a small thing that no one, you know, no one cares, you know, but, but there's a few of my friends that really do. They like get it. They get my weird things with certain pens that just feel right. Right. I get that because, you know, being a musician myself, you know, there's certain things that, you know, hey, you got to try this, these style of picks or this string, string combination, you know, the feel of something when it's quality equipment. Sure, sure, yeah. Kind of reminds me of something that uh, a friend of mine said is people who use bad equipment for so long get accustomed to bad equipment that that, that they actually have something that is good, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel good to them. Yeah. Which is an interesting concept. And I'm sure it's the same in art as it is Absolutely. in music and everything else. I have, a, I have a really good friend that lives in Maine and he's an amazing acrylic painter. He paints with Apple Barrel acrylics, which are the cheapest Apple, cheapest acrylic paints you can buy. You can buy them at Walmart, they're a dollar something a, a bottle. And whenever he gets really good acrylics, somebody give it to him, you know, something to happen, he'll get some. He can't paint with them. Interesting. He just can't work with them. <laughs> it's so funny to me, because I'm I'm like kind of, the, kind of the opposite. Like, I'm always like moving up. I always feel like I'm trying to like invest more in my you know the products so that the only thing holding me back is my actual skill not the not the tools you know definitely it's one of those things where you know you have to hit that next progression Mm -hmm. because you know if you're going to stay with base paint or base equipment Mm -hmm. yeah you're not just you're just not going to probably advance your what am I trying to say here? You're probably not going to advance your yeah your style as as fast. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, and that's the that's the goal I think of anyone who's making art or music is that you always want to be making positive steps forward. Like you always want to be progressing. It doesn't matter how fast you're progressing. Right. You know, that whole that whole game of I feel like getting caught up with how fast you're progressing is uh, is a losing battle. You know, I've learned I've learned that as I've gotten older. You know, where you're, you know, you're seeing somebody else you play music with, or they make art, and they're progressing faster than you. And then all of a sudden, the frustration comes in, and then the self doubt comes in, and then the, and then jealousy. Yeah, the jealousy, the resentment, and really, man, the only thing, you know, as human beings, we should be doing is, is as far as this goes, is just trying to get better every day. You know, our our progress is going to be different than somebody else's. Right, um, because you. And some people are just naturally more talented, and, and that's okay. You know? True. It's the, it, go ahead. It's the thing of saying the you know the be kind to everyone thing because they're, mm-hmm. everybody's fighting a battle you you know yeah. nothing about kind yeah. of deal. Same with being able to progress as an artist or a musician or even mm-hmm. in your job. Yep. You know you got to take that time because I'm I'm one of those people when it comes to art or music or anything like that that. You have to have this to get to this. Mm-hmm. And I always equate, you couldn't go from Master of Puppets to the Black Album. You had to have sure. justice in there. Sure, sure. So, and the, the natural progression of things. Yep. That's, uh, yeah, for sure. That's, um, yeah, it's a natural progression and everybody moves at their own speed. And it, um, I think as, as a young person, if somebody had told me that, I would have had a lot less frustrations in my early 20s. And, right. You know, it's a... Uh, Speaking of Metallica, though, those album covers, just like 
most artists I know, Pusshead Man. Oh gosh, he's. I, I can't. <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with the artwork of Pusshead or Brian Schroeder, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, there. See, there it is. Yep. There's the his artist name and his real yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. He was he was ahead <laughs> of the curve. Yeah, because that was a long time ago. He had a code name, a handle, a long time ago. Definitely. And for years, after seeing James's artwork, because James is uh, an artist as well. Okay. Uh, he he was drafting and stuff yeah, like yeah. that in high school. I always thought that it was him. Yeah. Under a under a pseudonym like that, but it wasn't. But you can reach this guy, mm-hmm. but he's again he's a pen to paper kind of person. Yeah. He doesn't do anything on the internet. He had like a fan page, but mm-hmm. you could get a commission from him. But you had to get his mailing address sure, and sure. send him a letter, which yeah. is totally cool. I love that. Yeah, there's a couple, a couple of old school tattooers I know like that that you literally have to write them a letter still, and they'll write you a letter back. Wow. And then they'll give you a date. And one guy in particular, it's like I think he, and I, I don't think this is the same now because they don't really have them. But he used to give you an address for a payphone, and you would call his studio, and then he would walk up and then walk you over to his studio. Interesting. And this was up, you know, like five, six years ago. You know, like so Until they took the payphone out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's funny. But um yeah, Pusshead Pusshead was a you know, a crazy influence and you know what's crazy about the you know, that style of artwork is, you know, you're talking about maybe James having done the artwork. Well if you ever listen to the man Baroness, uh Baroness is singer uh guitarist uh, John Dyer Baisley mm-hmm. he's an incredible artist and their covers for their albums which very much look like if you had if um, the old uh, uh, I believe they were, he was Italian Alfonso Mucca um, he was an art nouveau guy if he had a baby right. with Pusshead John Dyer Baisley would have been that artist wow and all the Baroness albums or the, the record covers are so beautiful and um that's one of those guys where I'm like, man, you you make such good music. You can sing, play guitar, and then you're a crusher of an artist. It, that's where the jealousy comes. You know what right. I mean? It's like I'm happy for him, but at the same time, I'm like, man, dude, like he's a jack of all trades, master of all trades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, does he sleep? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Because he does tons of art for other bands. Like you know, some of my favorite, like like the band Black Tusk. Like he's done a bunch oh, of stuff yeah. for them. Shout out, know, to, and like, shout out to those guys. Yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, I love seeing stuff like that. But for sure, with tattooing, getting into tattooing, it, it I think it came from a lot of like music, being in punk rock, hardcore scene, seeing the guys that I idolize, seeing them having tattoos, you know, like the metal guys. like, And then being young and just, like when I was 18, I got my first tattoo. I was in the Marine Corps. And basically the person who tattooed me was, I don't want to say they were terrible, but they were not an artist. They were obviously just somebody who was friendly with the guy who owned the shop, you know, and he just kind of like taught them. And I was like, oh, I can do this. Okay. You know what I mean? I, was, like, I almost had a cringe moment there for a second where I was like, so he was just like a friend of the guy and he just said, yeah, have at. <laughs> I think that, um, to, to be fair, I think it was like someone he, you know, just enjoyed having around and... You know, you could teach someone to be a like a production flash tattoo artist with a person who has like very little art skills, as long as they have patience and you know it, it's a trade that can be taught. But me realizing watching the guy stumble over trying to get the drawing together, 
and I was already drawing tattoos that were probably fairly ugly at 18, 19, you know, but I was like, man, this comes way easier to me than the guy who's about to tattoo me. Right. You know, and, and, um, and I'm sure that, you know, if he stuck with it, he ended up being a great tattooer, you know, you could just tell he was very new to it, you know. And, so with that and sleeves and everything else that you have, do you still have that tattoo visible or have you covered it up? Um, I had it reworked, but it's a little tribal stuff on my upper arm. Okay. It kind of turned in, morphed into biomechanical stuff. Nice, which I'm uh, a huge fan of biomechanical. I'm still a huge fan. I mean, there's a face Yeah, hugger, definitely. Face hugger right there on my wall. Um, Has anybody got that? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, nice. it's on a, it's on a, uh, it's on a knee. And, Interesting. Um, yeah, we're actually going to color it in on Halloween. We outlined it, did the black the black work on it, and that's a lot for a knee. You know, you want to you want to break up a knee. You don't want to try to do. Yeah, because that's the the yeah, second the, probably second most used thing on your body. Yeah, and it just <laughs> swells real bad. It's really painful. Um, I've got huge knee tattoos. One of the most metal tattoos I have is a big Viking skull on this knee. Nice. You know? um, but yeah, I just you know I, I had been hanging around a couple of tattoo shops and. Um, I was in the, the Marine Corps Reserve, so I was two years active, two years reserve, and then I got out. So during that reserve time, uh, I actually started learning to tattoo during that time. Okay. And um, that was under uh, Keith Miller, who owned Eternal Images back in the day, back in the 90s. Nice. And um, and that was such a big, you know, that was a huge, huge thing for me because everybody who worked there and all the guys who were getting tattooed were all like in bands and stuff. And It's like they go hand in hand. Oh, yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh, which, you know, speaking of tattoos and bands and stuff, I want to give a uh, shout-out to Nick yep. Burks from Stonecutters. He said that he, he had some of your work. He's Yeah, he's got about, I would say I've probably done like 60% of his tattoos. Oh, wow, that much even. Yeah, yeah he didn't say that. He, said, he just said, yeah, he's done some work for me. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's yeah. cool. Uh, yeah, Nick's one of my like best friends still. You know, I don't get to see him that often. You know, he's in four bands. You know, oh, I know. And, yeah. And even with COVID, you know, he he actually lives. Um, yeah, he had moved away. He moved up Wolf. to Fort Wayne. So, but we uh, before he started playing with Stone Cutters, we traveled a lot together to go get tattooed by people. Okay. So, um, you know, just a lot of driving, listening to music, you know, bullshitting about stuff, and. Um, when he got in Stonecutters, uh, my friend Brian, uh, Brian Omer, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Him. Shout out to him. He's been on the show as well. Brian's such a sweet guy. Uh, you know, he was, you know, I've known him forever too. And he was just like, you know, hey, I'm kind of looking for a guitar teacher. Do you think your buddy Nick might be interested? You know, and then they met. That's how they met. And then shortly after, Brian was like, yeah, I'm thinking about asking him to join the band. And he was like, I'm a little reluctant because Nick's so much younger than us. Right. Because at the time, Nick would have been like 26, maybe, and they were, you know, in their early 40s. Right. And, um, Absolutely. But I think it was just such a, uh, it, you know, it just worked, you know, when they did it. It, it really kind of took their band to the next level, you know. And, Definitely. And ridiculous musician. Uh, follow him on Instagram and Facebook and stuff. And he po- on the Instagram posts, he will post guitar videos. And they're absolutely insane. He's yeah, they just are. like, yeah. he's like hammering stuff out for. You might get some sneak peeks of new songs. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. he's always doing that. Yeah, I love it. I love that uh, that Nick's uh, t- 
turning into a successful musician. Like he's, you know, he's able to make a living at it. Yeah, you know, and definitely. That's, definitely. That's the goal, I think, of any musician. And, you know, like we had talked, uh, you know, a little bit through Instagram, and you, and, you know, I played a little bit of music. Right. Um, I didn't play an instrument. Um, I tried playing bass. I never really could get it. Um, I sang for a band for about a year. Okay. And um, the musicians in the band were all so talented. Uh, I wasn't. Um, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> well, I mean, looking around yeah. at some of the stuff that you've got here, which I am going to post links to your social okay. medias and stuff like that so people can see it. It, it was fun, but I um, it was the first year I had started to my apprenticeship. I started my apprenticeship six months after I joined the band. And about three months into my apprenticeship, I realized I couldn't do both. There was just no way I could work like a full-time job, try to apprentice, try to balance this. And I also, to be fair, I'm not just saying because to be humble or something, I was holding those guys back. They were all three, I mean, honestly, just good musicians. And I was, it wasn't that I was like some terrible musician. I just was new to it. Right. You know, our, we weren't aged the same. I was a two-year, two-year-old playing with, you know, people in their upper teens, you know, if not young adults. So the, I could see at that point, I was like, man, it, it's just going to take so much more out of me to get to where we're on a level playing ground, you know, and, and I'm such like an OCD perfectionist and stuff, like. You know, we, we played a couple of times in front of, you know, a handful of people, but I was real particular about us playing out because I wanted everything to be perfect. And, like, it was almost driving me crazy. <laughs> right. And, you know, in the music industry, things uh, seldom go right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> More stuff goes wrong, I think. Sure, sure. And it is, it's definitely a hard thing to get, get under control. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because the many- train starts rolling. It's a so it's so many personalities, and I think that like I always compare like when people tell me their gripes about touring with the band, I'm always like, man, it's like a tattoo shop. You got four other artists, and you know, like I work with one, two, three, five other people, and so you know, you're always going to have there's so many different personalities. There's always going to be right. one one person that maybe butts heads with another person, or one person that just does something that irritates one person, and then that irritation irritates the other person and it and it's like it's um i'm always impressed when a band doesn't have a lot of lineup changes right you know like just like tattoo shops when i see some like oh that crew worked together for 15 years i'm like how right there's you know there's crews that i've seen and come and go from shops around mm-hmm. town that that have started their own shops and and changed people there and and that's always an interesting, interesting thing to see as well. With Acme, we we kind of all worked together for for a long time, and then uh, Jay Fish, uh, who started Acme and owned it, he sold it a few years ago. Okay. And then that was kind of like where the shop just changed what it was. It was starting, it was starting to move into more of a walk-in um, kind of a high traffic shop, and, and it just isn't my speed, so. You know, that's the, you know, that's, you know, basically where that split came from. But, you know, I say it's, I'm always impressed when there's a crew together for 15 years. But now that I think about it, we all worked together for 10, 12 years before anyone started leaving. Right. You know, and, and, and again, you know, it was no like crazy drama or anything. But it was, but was it due to the, 
the walking <clears throat> business as opposed to like boutique style business? I think a little bit. I think that um, I think it's just natural change, you know, and everyone changes, you know, and the uh, when um, when the guy who bought it, you know, he, you know, it was an investment for him too, you know, and he was looking at, you know, end game, you know, like you can right. tattoo for so long, but you can't. Uh, he was making smart business moves, but the smart business moves for older tattooers, it was like, for me and, and um, you know, some of my friends, it was just more like a distraction, you know, we weren't used to, and um, so sometimes it would make it hard. You know, it's like there's so many people in the shop and there's so much bustle, you know, hustle and bustle going on. And I'm just trying to do my tattoo, you know. And right. So realistically, he was making all those you know, right moves for that business. It just wasn't the right moves for, you know, for me. So as a person. Yeah. And, and, you know, even leaving, you know, it's like it, um, you know, we, we left on good terms. You know, everything was fine. You know, I just, it was sad, you know, right. but, you know, because it's like I look at it as like being in a band with somebody for 16 years. You know, and then because, you you know, you say, oh, well, I'm going to stay in contact. And, and we do, you know, but you don't see each other, you know, and, and you realize that the people you work with are the people you see the most. People mm -hmm. you play music with, like if you're going on the road and stuff, those are the people you see the most. Right. It's one of those things where, you know, I don't understand, but I kind of do understand how bands like Motley Crue mm -hmm. or... Poison, who absolutely hated each other, yeah, could still get together and play because of the money involved. It they kind of yeah, that was the driving force was the the almighty the almighty dollar in the end sure, result sure. because it necessary and it was for the love of the music, mm -hmm. not necessarily the love of each other. It which was, is a needle point on you know one thing that this person does gets under yeah, this person's yeah. skin. I feel like they would have been to a point where, you know, they're different than, like, you know, a smaller band who's, like, might have a van. Sometimes, oh, yeah. sometimes they're lucky to have an RV. <laughs> sometimes they get a tour where they get a tour bus, you know, for a month. But, you know, at that time, with, with Motley Crue, Poison Water, they may have all had separate buses. You know what I mean? Oh, you don't yeah. know. At you some point. Yeah, yeah, you don't know, because they had so much money. You know, it's like, I just imagine Tommy Lee having a harem inside of a bus you know and it's just his bus he's got a driver him and a harem right you know and it's like but uh <laughs> and a whole lot of drugs no. yeah 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 exactly exactly <laughs> i um yeah i got i was really fortunate um to um you know i got to see a lot of, i've gotten to see a lot of the behind the scenes like with music stuff and i've gotten to I, i've tattooed uh the band hatebreed okay like, like a whole lot and uh, gotten to be, you know, you know, good friends with those guys, and um, um, I've tattooed on their tour bus several times. Interesting. Like, yeah, and um, I got to. They were on Ozfest. They were a staple in Ozfest for a long time. Right. You know, I would, I would almost say like a decade. I feel like they played Ozfest, and I would always meet up with them for a handful of dates, and I would tattoo a lot of the, the bands that were playing Ozfest. Okay. And um. It uh, you know, it was really always interesting to see the different levels of these bands. You know where they're at. You'd see them the next year, and then you would see where they're at. And some of them would just blow up in a matter of months. And um, yeah, it it was just very interesting to me to to see all the uh, 
the different personalities, the like, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. Because on a on a huge festival show like that, you've got so many people that make the machine work mm-hmm. that you've got the second stage mm-hmm. a group of group of guys and gals that make that work musically and being around them and then you've got the people who are not necessarily want to say upper echelon yeah, yep. but the higher end of the mm-hmm. card you know your main event as yep, they yep. would say I always felt with like with Ozfest that we were always like the people I hung out with you know it was all second stage bands and we were definitely like there was a certain areas we were not allowed to go it didn't matter what band you were in right <laughs> you know like and, yeah uh, you don't come close to Ozzy yeah yeah oh, <laughs> it, you know and it's funny because people are like oh man did you ever meet Ozzy and uh, I didn't I never met Ozzy um I never met Sharon. I. Uh, That's probably a good thing. Sure, sure. I, <laughs> I do have a, I have a decent story. I uh, did Jack Osborne's first tattoo. Are you serious? Yeah. Um, I did it on Haybreed's bus. Wow. And he was just a giant Haybreed fan. So him and Jamie got along real good. Right. He was just always around. And, um, you know, looking back, I was kind of naive, but I never watched the Osborne show. Right. Until, like, after I met Jack. And because I just didn't know, you know, like I love Black Sabbath, I love Ozzy, but other than, you know, his family never crossed my mind as being, you know, celebrities. Right. You know, and um, they were almost like, to me, like, I guess how people view the Kardashians once I, you know, you know, not, not in a bad light, but just like they were celebrities. Right. You know, and, but during this time in Ozfest, like, uh, you know, Jack and, and Kelly or whatever, they just walked around like like little kids all through all this stuff. The melee. You know, like oh, yeah. young teenagers and they're just like, you know, and just going on people's buses saying hi to everybody, you know, and and uh, making sure everybody's okay. And- yeah, yeah. And Jack had a big part in even at fifteen, sixteen on picking the bands for the second stage. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I've been to that era of shows with mm-hmm. with them. So I definitely I, know what you mean. I think he was sixteen when I tattooed him. And I remember I was like, you know, is this okay with your mom? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And she had just got diagnosed with some sort of cancer. Oh, no. Yeah. And um, so she was sick. And he got a little heart that said mum, like M-U-M. Because they're English or whatever. um, But I remember him being like, asking the guys, like, if they could play some music, you know, whatever, while he was getting tattooed. And I'm like, yeah, what do you want to hear? And he's like, oh, I want to listen to Tool. You know, and, and they're like, cool, awesome, man, we got you. And the minute I started tattooing him, they start playing Sabbath. Like, really loud. Wow. <laughs> and I guess, you know, not that he dislikes his father's music, but it wasn't what he was wanting to hear. Right. You know, and uh, I remember that was just, like, just hilarious to me. But also looking back, it's like, what a, you know, it was almost like hazing in a way. Right. Was, you know, he was a young kid, and they're hazing Ozzy's son. You know, and you want to hear a tool? Here's where it started. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. We've yeah. got 40 years to go through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, one of those, one of those Ozfest tool played on. I remember that. Yeah, like 97 or 98. Yeah, I think they played again because I, I didn't go on that tour until the early 2000s, and I want to say it's that infamous like, like show in Michigan or something where they were pulling up to the grass and throwing it. 
for some Oh, no, they did They did that in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. When, yeah. when I was there in 99. Okay, okay. Noblesville, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, Slayer came on the stage. So I'm off then. I, def- I wasn't on that. I wasn't on that tour. I wasn't. Technically yeah, Haybreed was not on the '99 tour yeah. or the 2000 tour. This I would think been, they were a little bit later. This would have been like 2003, probably. Yeah. You know, and it was a few years, and yeah, yeah. But I, I, it just seemed like Tool played. I don't know why I'm thinking that, but I they could, could have that later. Yeah, I, I could be wrong about that too. I've seen Tool. I saw Tool in '97, and um, the Melvins opened for him. Wow. And oh man. You want to talk about an obsession coming out of there? Because I had never heard the Melvins in '97, so I was like, "What is this band opening?" You know, I see this guy like King Buzzo, and he comes out, and his hair is all big and goofy, and and I was like, I left there an Uber fan. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I was like, "Whoa, what is this?" But um, what an innovative band too. If 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 you've never delved into the Melvins, please do. It's, well, I mean, Nirvana yeah. had a huge Melvins influence. Yeah. So, for sure. Hey guys, Wrestling Steve of the Wrestling Steve Show here. Uh, so if you're currently listening to the Metal Forge with Mark Jackson, then you understand that Mark Jackson has a pretty discerning taste when it comes to music as a whole. You also understand that he has a discerning taste for professional wrestling, just like me. The, my show is called the Wrestling Steve Show. Uh, I talk about modern and classic pro wrestling in a completely unbiased, unfiltered way. Be sure to check me out on all available podcasting platforms. That is the Wrestling Steve Show. And I am the host, Wrestling Steve. Just remember, uh, like like Confucius said, uh, man who goes through turnstile in Thailand uh, is going to Bangkok. Pro wrestling. Tell me about life on the road as a tattoo artist. Have you done residency in other cities and states? Because it sure. seems like a thing that tattoo artists go on tour at some mm-hmm. point as well. I've done a lot of it. I've, um, I um, almost exclusively wanted to do that. Um, I've got some pretty bad medical problems. Okay. So when they started hitting me, I started slowing down. But um, when I, I apprenticed for a year, a year and a half in Louisville, and then I moved. And I started moving to a new city every year. Okay. I would sign a lease for a year, work in a shop for a year, learn everything I could, move to another city. And I wanted to do that for basically a decade. I did it for five, six years. Okay. Um, my medical problems were why I moved back. And then once they started getting under control, then I started going out. At that point, I had met enough people, and my, my skill set was... Was a much, was much better, more honed in. Um, I was able to start traveling the country, um, just going and sitting in at a shop for a week at a time. Okay. Um, I still do it for the same reason. Uh, I like to go work with people, pick their brains, watch them work. You know, maybe get tattooed. Um, kind of fly on the wall, kind of. Um, right. I, for me, it's the best way to learn. And I still never want to be annoying to someone. So I just quietly watch what they're doing and absorb. You know, I don't like to ask too many questions. You know, I don't like to... And I don't think anyone really gets annoyed with that. For some reason, early on, I was always real conscious of, you know, if I was... I was driving... When I was getting my arms done, I was driving to Chicago to get tattooed by uh, John Clue, who, um, he's played in a, you know, a bunch of metal bands from New York and Chicago and stuff. And, uh, but, uh, 
but even with him early on, you know, he was almost like a mentor, and I was always very, you know, like cautious to not, I don't know. Like, yeah, you didn't want to badger him. Yeah, you, you wanted to. It's it's almost like learning through osmosis at a point. Yes, because you're you're absorbing everything that he is doing and why and why he does certain things, but mm-hmm. you don't have to ask the question. Certain movements, certain like you know, you know the way he's holding something, the way you know, right. It's like visually recording it with your own eyes. Definitely. You know? It um, but I still do it. You know, I um, right up until COVID happened. You know, I I had um, I mean, even almost more so the last two years I've traveled. I mean, I did like nineteen guest spots, like in a year and a half. Wow. You know, so that's going somewhere every couple few weeks. Definitely, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, it was you know, and, and maybe so. I feel like the last few years was because I was in a I was in a long term relationship that ended, so I you know I had a, I had a little bit more freedom. Right. Um, and, you know, not like freedom. Oh, I'm totally free now. I can do whatever the fuck I want. It was more like I felt like it was unfair to my partner to always be on the road. Right. So I get one, that. Once we, were, we weren't together anymore, I was like, well, this has always been something that I've been passionate about. And I kind of almost amped it up, you know. May have even overdid it a little bit. Because when quarantine hit, I was definitely tired. Right. You know, I was... Uh, so the, the break that you got... For the first few months of COVID nineteen was probably a well needed break as well. I couldn't believe how much I needed it. It um, I had just moved here to this shop when we got shut down. I think I had worked. I think we got shut down on the tenth of March, and right. I started March first. Oh wow! So so yeah. I was here for like a week, and I was super bummed. But then after a couple of weeks of being home, I was like, man, I needed this. Like, I needed, and I and I started looking back, and all my breaks throughout. 23 years of tattooing have all been around a surgery or something. It's almost like I need some kind of pandemic to be like, okay, it's okay to take <laughs> some time you off. You need to have a health issue to have have a break. Yeah. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, cool. You're having abdominal surgery. Yeah, you can take two, you know you can take two months off. You know, and, and that's no kind of break. So, do you get bummed out when it, when and if you have to have a surgery and they and they have to actually make incisions rather than laparoscopically for the work that you've had done in places? A little bit. Um, i tell you the truth. Most of my surgeries were late 20s, early 30s. Okay. And I was still in the mindset that we talked about earlier, uh, the comparison. My, uh, my, the people that my, um, what would you call it when someone's kind of on the same level as you, been doing it about the same time? Um, whatever you you know like my friends that were tattooing who had been at the, about the same point I was right I was watching them pass me up okay and, and, and so it was it was not like being you know upset it, it was more or less being upset because I was so competitive okay like oh man they're you know I'm well going, I meant like to the work that you'd have oh no no I totally get what you're saying yeah, yeah I um, I have my, my doctors were really good about it they cut you know almost everyone I've had every Every surgeon I've ever had has. They did, followed. They followed the line. They did a good job. I swear. <laughs> yeah, I've got massive scarring on my stomach and you know on my shoulder and stuff and like, yeah, it's um, it's crazy the way they're able to work with it. That's interesting, because you know I'm sure there's some of them that mangle the hell out of out of people. I would say that there's some that may mangle people on purpose. You know, maybe not like scarring them on purpose, but just like 
they don't like tattooing and they're just like don't respect it and they're just like it's not art and they're just cutting willy nilly wherever right you know and, and it is art yeah it's, for sure it's definitely art because I will tell you this much as, as nice as most of my doctors have been most doctors I've encountered and I've encountered a lot are not tattoo friendly right if you ask them a question about a tattoo or hey my body is reacting this way the answer is always you shouldn't get tattooed almost always and that's that's frustrating it is because I had a healing issue with one mm -hmm. of mine and they were they were like wow that is inflamed but here you should take this this mm -hmm. should this should help out with everything gave me like a steroid cream yeah. and, and I was like alright thanks but they were totally cool with it and I was I was surprised because mm -hmm. that's actually a um, religious ran hospital really yeah <laughs> yes. yeah it's a saint something i'm not gonna okay yeah, you're not yeah, gonna yeah, call yeah. them out by name but uh, well, yeah i mean i've had some issues with healing because of my autoimmune issues and every doctor i've ever brought it up to has been like instead of trying to find a way around it you know like hey maybe don't let the air hit it so much or don't you know because you can grow staff because of the air or you know something like that they're just like don't get tattooed don't get tattooed you know, and it's like, when you love something, you're not going to stop. Yeah, it's kind of hard to stop now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think, I mean, until I get to a point where I'm old enough where it's just excruciatingly painful because your pain tolerance has dropped so much, right. I won't stop. Um, and then get, uh, the skin gets thinner yeah, over time. Yeah. Right. I had somebody that I, uh, that I was talking to who was like 65 and decided to go in and get something mm -hmm. and hadn't got a tattoo in like 15 years or something mm -hmm. since they were like 50. And they were like, oh my gosh, it was so unbearable. Yep. And it was like a, like yeah, a wrist tattoo. Yeah, it shouldn't even be that bad right there. Right. And because their, their skin had thinned out mm -hmm. so much, it was almost like going straight into the. Yep. Well, I mean, you, I mean, you have to, you know, notice, I mean, too, you know, it's like, Getting tattooed in your 20s and getting tattooed in your 40s is totally different. Ballgame. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just your your pain tolerance just isn't as high. And I always tell people, I told Nick that even you know, get the hard places out of the way. If you really want a bodysuit, get the hard places. You know, get your ribs, your armpits, things like that that are just treacherous. Get those knocked out. Yeah, I don't have anything underneath arms or anything like yeah. that, but I've got. Stuff that comes that's, close. Yeah, that's about the same right there. But it, the chest. but it was rough. I was yeah. like, oh Whoa. yeah, hey, hanging <laughs> on, hanging on to the to the chair with your digging your fingernails in. Like, yeah, yeah. Dude, grabbing the chair. Yeah, that's and then and then he asks, "You okay? Do you need a yeah. break?" I'm like, "Just go, just go, man." <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I love getting tattooed, and I hate it at the same time. Oh yeah, uh, I I always look at it as therapy. Mm -hmm. Getting something too too fast between sessions for me is, uh, mm -hmm. you know, waiting a few years between certain things. Yeah, yeah. I, when I had one of my pieces done, I was just like, you know, it had been like five years. Mm -hmm. and I was like, it's time. Yeah. I've got to have that therapy. Yeah. And it is therapeutic to a degree because... A lot of people don't look at tattooing as a medical procedure. Yeah. And it, it very much is. Oh, yeah. They, you know, even, you know, piercing is medical procedure. You you need sterile environment. 
and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But it, it's the opening of the body. Mm-hmm. You know, as much as surgery is there to get rid of an impurity to fix sure, something, sure. I think tattooing does the same. I tattooed um, a doctor yesterday, and he said the same thing. He said it's basically like a minor procedure you're having done. Mm-hmm. You know, minor surgery, and uh, especially in his case, he got tattooed from one till nine last night. So he's wow. Uh, he's from Japan, uh, from New York by way of Japan. So, okay. You know, uh, he he kind of needs to sit a little longer. You know, right. just because of traveling and stuff, but. Um, <coughs> But yeah, he said that too, and he's a he's a, he's a doctor that works with like cancer patients and stuff. But he okay. said it's like like he, an oncologist. He, yeah, he treats it as a as a procedure. You know, he has a few days off afterwards, to make sure he you know recoups and you know make sure he eats enough and you know, right, right, right. Just like t- uh, getting your blood drawn and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So when I originally met you. I met you at Great Escape in Louisville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. off of Bardstown Road. Uh, check them out. The best comic shop. Yes, because they're an awesome comic shop. Uh, have so much back issues and stuff like that. But they were doing a kind of an artist day, mm-hmm. kind of like a, uh, an art fair type were, yeah, deal. Yeah. And you'd been there to showcase your comic. Which is the elixir? Mm-hmm. Beautiful black and white print, uh, Japanese style artwork. Which you'll no- come to notice when you look up his Instagram that that's a lot of the motif is you have some amazing Japanese style thank you, artwork. Thank you. Tell me how that came together. Um. Well, I've, I've, I've been a big comic fan my whole life, and I've done. A little bit of work with comics, like short stories, you know, a couple pages here and there. Okay. Um, I've illustrated, like, a, you know, like, children's books and things like that, but never really got to do a comic. And the comic stuff that I had done, it all came out digitally. And I was uh, frustrated with not being able to hold a comic I made. Right. And the frustration was really coming, um, you know, it was... It was just hitting me that, okay, well, you know, I'm, I'm getting to be around 40, you know, I need to start doing some of these things I want to do. And I went through that breakup I was talking about, and um, it was one of the things making, trying to work on comics was always tough in that relationship because it was viewed from my partners, you know, just one of those things that was like distracting from, you know, our life too, you know, and I was already so busy. And I get it, you know, to a degree, you know. And so I told myself when that ended, I was like, okay, I'm going to travel. And I'm going to make a comic, and and that was um, I had uh, I had shoulder surgery, so I had supposed to have three months off. I had like two months off. Um, it was my right shoulder, which I'm right-handed, so I loosely sketched out the whole comic over two months with my left hand. Oh wow! And uh, it wasn't the greatest illustrations; they were you know loose, but um, it was kind of just a practice. I wasn't sure I was going to do anything with it, and then. I was like, man, maybe if I just put, I, I just uh, put them on a light box, these pages I did, and just start painting them, once my right hand's better, start painting them and just kind of tightening them up a little bit. You know, I wanted to see what that would feel like. Um, and then it just grew into, you know, it took me a little over a year to do the comic. And, okay. Um, it, um, 
I wanted it to be a de- like I wanted it to feel like my tattoo work and my natural artwork, but also I wanted it to be a lot looser. Right. Because with tattooing, I find, you know, sometimes I do four or five drafts of the same image just to get it perfect, as perfect as it can be in the imperfect art form, you know. But with the comic, I did not want that. I wanted it to be loose and fun. Okay. And, um, but, um, yeah, and I, I'd always admired people who could tell stories without words. And spoiler alert yeah yeah so yeah if you read the comic they're 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 um uh i ended up removing all the words and because there just wasn't a lot to begin with and it just felt right for some reason definitely and that's probably one of the things that i like about it is there it takes you on a visual journey yeah it's like watching a silent film to a degree because you begin to look at look at the individual panels and dissect the individual panels of everything of what's going on with water and wind mm-hmm. and body placement. Oh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, that's what, exactly what it's going for too. I wanted you to get the you know the feeling that there was you know a little bit of a hallucinatory edge to it, you know, like, very much you know, and um that uh this was like a a warrior's journey that he was sacrificing for what he loved, you know, and I, um, I also kind of wrote it around some images that I really wanted to incorporate. Definitely. Now, because it is in black and white, was it elected to be printed that way? Because I know you've got the the piece on the wall here, Mm -hmm. or was it actually done in grayscale? No, I painted it fully black and white. Okay. Um, I actually used two different, uh, two different blacks. So that the foreground figures would look, they were a little bit uh, cooler in mm-hmm. the background, so they would separate. Right. So the whole comic is printed in color, but it's black and white. So okay. You could, so you could, we could capture all the different different tones, because if I had printed it black and white, then it would have just been the same. But it all just be the, <laughs> the the monotone there. But um, yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to be black and white. I wanted it to be very metal looking. I wanted it to be, um, you know, 70s heavy metal magazine, you know, stuff like that. Right. Like, I, I I wanted it to be, you know, you, you spoke of Richard Corbin earlier. Um, I wanted it to have the feel of Richard Corbin, Bernie Wrights, you know, stuff like that. Definitely. Um, it, um, yeah, and I just really treated it like a fun project that I just worked on when I had free time, you know, and it, it gained momentum as I was working on it. And I got to tell you, you know, really never posted about it but man the feeling of walking in the great escape and having the comic on the wall with all of the other all these other comics was just like it was like little kid dream unlocked you know right, like right, right. And, and i just remember standing in front of it and you know obviously nobody in there has any idea you know but i'm just standing there just looking at my comic you know and just between all these other issues of whatever, vendors or whatever. You know? Definitely. And it gives that feeling of saying, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, so it's self-serving in that respect, but it's, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like, that's a a huge achievement. It, it definitely felt good. And I'll tell you, honestly, um, what, I was getting, what I was getting at er- earlier with um, the stuff that I had done before being digital... I, uh, towards the end of that, I had been doing a lot of stories, working on the book, and like, 
I had had a couple publishers reach out to me about maybe publishing it. Oh, wow. And I said no, because I wanted to completely have control. I wanted this thing to come out, like physically, and have the physical book in people's hands. The Both of the companies that approached me, approached me with doing it digital with the possibility of, of print. And that was the reason I said, I'm just not interested. Um, I get that. I would, it, it wasn't, I didn't do it to make money. So that wasn't a necessary, you know, a necessary right. thing. If it had felt right, like somebody had, you know, had approached me and been like, hey, we could really get this out there, you know, in print, then for sure. But the, you know, the modern age now, everything's so, you know, digital that it, uh, it's kind of, you know, we were talking about with art earlier. I, I just wanted to physically hold something I had created in my hand. Right, because it's a little bit more, it, it's a little bit different being an artist per se when you're doing tattoo work. Because that's what somebody is going to hold on their arm, leg, whatever. You'll you'll post a picture of it yep. on social media or whatever now. But as it goes to stand, you know, stuff like the like the contact paper mm-hmm. where you make where you draw out your original designs. Yep. You know, you have that, but that's not the same as seeing an actual printed sure, sure. book or CD like a musician can do. Musicians mm-hmm. do it all the time with music because there's always a physical medium for that for the most part, I should say. Yeah, I mean, even <laughs> with, in, you know, around the same time, um, I did um, I did an album cover and uh, for, for a metal band. And um, basically the, the reason I did it for them was I liked their music, but I also wanted to hold a record in my hand. Right. And I finished this painting that I spent several months on and then they told me they were only going to release it through. Uh, they weren't going to. Oh no! And um, yeah, I was like, you know, this this big painting I did is never going to translate into this half-inch box picture on Spotify. Right. You were not, through a digital medium. Yeah, you were. I mean, you know, you'd have to get a micro microscope out, you know, to see some of the stuff in it. And I was so, um, you know, nothing against the band, but I was just heartbroken. Oh, I, you know, I, I can. I, yeah. I wanted this big gatefold record that I had done the, the art for, you know. Wow. And uh, and when I was younger, I had done one. I, I done. I've done a lot of art for bands, but um, I'd done the cover for like a hardcore compilation. Nice. Um, but it's so ugly. You know, I was proud of this. But it's hardcore. Yeah. It's supposed yeah, yeah, to be yeah, ugly. Yeah, this was the 90s. <laughs> you know, imagine any, like, agnostic front cover you ever saw. Or anything, you know, on any t-shirt. You right. know, it's like, it's this black and white tough guy looking artwork, you know. The, um, I think the only band I liked on it was um, 100 Demons. <laughs> you know, there was, like, 30 bands on it. I didn't like any of them. <laughs> you know, but uh, it was cool to see my artwork on something. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning into the Metal Forge this week. I really appreciate every last one of you that listens. But before I go any further, I do want to tell you that we do have a Patreon page here. And there's three tiers. There's the Dion and Dirty Dollar tier. It's just a buck. Hey, you're not going to miss a buck. Nobody does. Then there's the $5 Showstoppers tier, which you get a patch, stickers, whatever we have that's in that price range. And then there's the $20 a month Master, where you can get a t-shirt, any size, any color of the Metal Forge logo. Fuck yeah. That's awesome stuff. Oh, and by the way, if you donate on there, guess what? You get the show two days in advance from everybody else. Thank you all so much. It's patreon.com slash metalforgeradio. Check it out and donate today. I love you guys. Thank you. 
I also like to, you know, ask some some generalized questions. Okay. Because you know, we're, I always say this in the, in the music shows because we're all people. Mm-hmm. There's always some bit of common thread that we all have, whether it be music, tattoos, anything. Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, so I do like to know more about just people in general. Mm-hmm. You know, the things that make us tick. Do you have a favorite film? I was trying to think of this the other day as far as like, because it's, it's October. And Definitely. in October, I pretty much just watch horror related stuff. Um, I, uh, but I feel like I do that all year long anyway. I, right. In October, I'm very firm about I'm not watching anything that isn't horror. No Star Wars this time. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, at least in that genre, there's a film called Event Horizon. Okay. Um, and that's that's one of my favorites. Um, it's sci-fi horror. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah, that film for sure. Um, yeah, I really like the, it's, it's a Japan animation, but I really love Akira. Oh, definitely. Um, I just saw the, It's classic. Yeah, it's, I think it came out in 88. Something like that, 87, 88. Yeah. But, but that's a classic when it comes to anime over here in America. Oh, yeah. Because that was one of the first ones that had come over that mm-hmm. Ninja Scroll. Oh yeah, Ninja Scroll stuff sure. like that for sure. My um, my best friend's Vietnamese, uh, and um, we I mean we've been friends for you know since we were little kids, and he he got a copy of Akira from one of his family members overseas. Oh wow! So it, it was the first film that I watched uh, subtitled, like you know. So I, I maybe it was in eighth grade, you know, and and. And now I watch everything with subtitles, even if it's in English, just because I'm mm-hmm. I'm scared I'm going to miss something. I'm currently watching Dark on Netflix, and I feel like that that show is it, it, it's such an active watch that I want to watch it with subtitles because right, you know, I'm really involved in it. Because the, I think the the subtitles on there is not like the Amer uh, the English dub. Mm-hmm. It's one of those things where if they dub it. They could just put on there what they're saying, whereas the subtitles come direct from the manufacturer. Yeah, yeah. And they'll actually put everything what's there. Yeah. There's no cut-out audio. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but I love, like, old samurai films, stuff like that. Right on. A lot of, like, um, a lot of old westerns. Um, and, um, like, but we were talking about Planet of the Apes. Right. That franchise is probably my favorite. Um you know. Now you've got the 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 page on the wall here mm-hmm. from the new series. Yep. Now, are you a fan of both? I am mm-hmm. series the the original series with like Roddy McDowell and Charlton yeah. Heston. I, I and, struggled. I struggled with the new ones. Um, I wouldn't watch them because they were the first ones that weren't done with um, makeup and prosthetics. It was all right. CGI. Right. It was like there's no there weren't any, so there's no way. You know, I had the same feeling when they did the. Um, the Hollywood 2000 version of Godzilla, you know, mm-hmm. like the the Broderick one. Um, but, Definitely. But, um, you know, I put my inhibitions to the side and, and watched the first film and loved it. And then the second and third film, you know, it just it just kept getting better. And, um, right on. It, um, I eventually would like to own a page from the, from the original Planet of the Apes stories, too, from the 70s and stuff. Definitely. That would be an awesome... To both in the same oh, yeah. frame. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that page, like I said, is a that comic is a four issue comic, 
that is um, a bridge between the second and third new movie. Right. So I feel like I own a little piece of history, but definitely, you know, it, um, really strange too how how that came about because I was, you know, I met um, Jonas Scharf. Uh, he's the artist. He's he's from Germany, and I met him through Instagram. Well, he worked on a book before that that I loved. It was called um, The Warlords of Appalachia. Okay. And it's written by a guy from Kentucky. And Interesting. Yeah. Small yeah. world. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't realize that the writer was from Kentucky until he asked me where I lived. And I told him. He's like, oh, well, the writer I worked with is from Kentucky. And, you know, and then, you know, it's just really small, you know, how we, we branch out to people. We talk, you know, we meet people through the... The World Wide Web, you know. Oh, and, yeah. And it's like three degrees of separation, you know. Definitely. And, and you know, that's one of the things I've, I've come into contact with with doing the podcast is talking to people outside of the United States mm -hmm. and then knowing people that I know here in Louisville. Yeah. And it, it's interesting. Hmm. It's just crazy. So, yeah. Yeah. That's a, yeah, I feel like with tattooing and, you know, music and, and I don't know if it's like that for all music, but I, I feel like with heavy music, there's so many degrees of separation. Mm -hmm. And there's so many, like, um, I mean, so many bands that I don't even, you know, realize that, you know, oh man, like you were in that band. Or, like, recently um, I went and saw Where Your Wounds play. And that is uh, Jacob Bannon from Converge's mm -hmm. newer project. It's a lot more mellow. Well, my friend Sean plays guitar for it, and Sean Martin was in Hatebreed. Oh, wow. Well, the other guitar player, he played in a band called The Red Chord. Right. So we're, we're eating dinner, talking before the show, and he told me that, yeah, you know, I played in The, the Red Chord, and he was like, and I play in a band called Stomach Earth. And I said, oh, that's crazy. Me and my friend Nick, who we were just talking about, were in New York and saw your first show. And wow. yeah, it's, weird, right? <laughs> and, and and I guess he, he was like, yeah, well, that's crazy. He's like, because we really haven't played very many shows. He's like, because, <laughs> you know, it's like one of the guys from Job for a Cowboy is in that band. And, you know, wow. and, they, and they tour, you know, they tour a lot. You know, it's like hard to get them together. Definitely. You know, but so it's like all these, all, it's always something like that. Some weird degrees of separation, you know. And Right. And, and the, as much as the internet has equally hurt I think it's helped a lot of things like mm -hmm. that whereas like with Nick and so many other people who have been on the show there's a lot of people who have band members all over the world yeah it blows my mind and they will release albums they'll get together and tour for a couple of months mm -hmm. and then they'll take take their break release an album, get together and tour for a couple of months, yeah. because that's the demographic now. You don't have to all be from the same city. Mm -hmm. You can be in Chicago, Louisville, Dallas, mm -hmm. Germany, if that's the case, and it all works. Well, yeah, like, um, there's a local musician, friend of, friend of mine, Ryan Patterson, he just briefly mentioned one day that he was playing bass overseas for the band called Cripple Black Phoenix. Oh, wow. And that um, is the guitarist from At The Gates. I did not know that. So my friend Ryan, who lives a half a block from me, is playing bass with, you know, the guitarist from one of my favorite metal bands ever. Nice. You know what I mean? And, and it's like so weird, you know, anytime I hear stuff like that, I'm always, you know, it always gets your 
you're like, what? Yeah. That's where I thoroughly enjoy the metal archives, mm-hmm. the encyclopedia of the oh, yeah, on, yeah. online. Because there, it is this big bowl of spaghetti where they've got like, they have over like a million bands yep. submitted. And there's still bands that they don't have. Yep. That, and it's so cool to, to look at that. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Um, or in, beverage? Well, in, in Louisville, um, I love like pretty much anything from Vietnam Kitchen. So. It's Vietnamese, Chinese food. Right. Um, just like everybody, I think I love pizza. Um, but I could probably survive on Asian food. Um, oh, yeah. Like, you know, sushi, Japanese stuff, Chinese food. Um, probably a little addicted even to, like, MSG. You know, like, you know so <laughs> it's a... I worked in, like, I worked in a Chinese restaurant when I was a kid, so I oh, feel okay. like I was, like... I think that might be where the... Also where the Japanese influence came from. The, um, like I said, my friend, he's Vietnamese, but his parents were Vietnamese Chinese. So they had Chinese, Vietnamese, and Japanese art in their in their restaurant. Wow. And um, and seeing it on the walls in the restaurant. Oh, at 14? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and just being like, wow. You know, like, it, it, just amazing. You know, the Buddhist imagery, you know, like the, it, um, yeah, I can remember one time he had, um, Long's dad had a Buddhist shrine set up behind the counter and I had just got um, the band Shelter I had just got the 12 inch for attaining the Supreme and Shelter is a a Krishna band so for anybody who doesn't know what that is that's Hare Krishnas who play heavy music it's kind of wild but um, so on the front of it was this very uh, it was like almost images from the Bhagavad Gita believe is how you say it, which is like the Krishna Bible. Right. Very beautiful imagery. And I sat the record up there in that, that shrine because it looked like all the other art. And man, Long's dad like blew up on me. It was so disrespectful. You know, and I you know, it's but you know, at fifteen, I don't know. Right. You know, For I mean, sure. so but uh yeah, so being around all that stuff, you know, it's uh it definitely, uh, definitely, I think is is what influenced me. And, you know, the just the imagery and the story from the Japanese stuff is definitely. definitely you know, it's even the, you know, like a lot. You know, some of my horror films. A lot of like, you know, if you've ever delved into Korean horror, um, you know, that's the they're masters. They're very masters Every, of the subtle, right? The subtle creep. Like everybody talks about Italian horror, mm-hmm. or but it's all gore. Yeah, yeah. Korean isn't gore. It's it's uh, shadows. Right. It's very. Uh, it's almost like Lovecraft like. Like if you read an H. P. Lovecraft story, it's the impending doom that's coming that you never see or encounter that scares you more than the actual reveal. Definitely the, the sense of dread. <laughs> uh, happy Halloween, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite city you've been to to tattoo in? Yeah, yeah, I would say I really enjoy North New York City because of the people. Okay. Um, the diversity um, and the plethora of just amazing artists, and the fact that I can go see a good show. You know, if I'm there for ten days. 
I could go see a ton of a ton of shows, you know, and all kinds of different music. Um, but probably my favorite city overall would be either Denver or Asheville. Okay. Um, I like the mountains. Big, big separation between the two. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't live in New York City. I couldn't. I can't handle it for more than ten days or so. Uh, actually, five or six days is pushing it. My, um, I need slower, a slower paced place. Right. And I feel like with my, with my health issues and my demeanor, I uh, almost always feel better in a mountainous area for okay. some reason. So, um, I worked in Colorado for a little over a year in Denver and Aurora, and um, kind of we travel back and forth. I'd go out there for months at a time, come back for a little bit, go back, and uh, but I, I just always felt better and. Um, yeah, and then with Asheville, there's a there's a general like it's kind of almost like hippie-ish in a way, and I, I kind of enjoy that. Just the the peaceful people, and you know, it can be a bit PC at times, you know. Right. But um, they have just such a good like music scene, you know, like the tattoo shop I was working at, the you know the counter guy who answered the phone, you know, uh, he's a singer for that band Bosk Bask. Okay. You know, like uh, and um. You know, they're they're like a stoner rock, you know, a stoner doom rock band, you know. But it, they've got a really good music scene. So really, anywhere that's you know, it's got a good scene. Yeah, it's got a good. You're scene. at home. Yeah, because I'm not a super go out social person, but I will go to so many shows. Oh yeah, I I even pushed it with the quarantine. I went and saw Woven Hand and Ohm, um, like the National Ohm, you know. Right. Uh, Om. Yes. Yes. Um, I think that was March twelfth. And yes, was, it was the, the the Thursday before everything had happened. I, I think they closed headliners the next day. Right. I remember sitting at a table, and I'm, you know, when I do go to shows, I like to walk around and say hi to people, shake hands, give people hugs. I was sat at a table and did not move the whole time because wow. I was I was a little paranoid already. No one was wearing a mask yet, but I knew what was going on. Right, because that next day it was Friday the thirteenth when everything kind of yeah, came and, down the pike for and, everybody. Exactly, and, and they had just closed us down as a tattoo shop, and I just don't think everyone was aware of how bad it was going to get. Right, and and having health issues, I was like kind of sitting at a table by my, you know, like kind of soft to myself with my shirt over my mouth a little bit, and just like you know, I was not going out in the crowd, you know, and thankful that I saw that show though because that might be the last show they ever do you know I've heard I read somewhere they're going to start trying to do some like parking lot shows right which apparently they've got some coming up okay Um, hopefully you know shout out to Billy and them yeah production simple they they've been around for years put on great shows have helped out the music scene and community and Mm -hmm. Louisville so much over the years so hopefully they'll they'll be able to keep things going yeah, I, I man, I, I, I do miss going to shows. I, um, I, I'm one of those people. If I'm, I, I definitely get the um, fear of missing out mm-hmm. with shows, and I've forced myself to go to shows a lot of times because it just like I know this is going to be good. I don't, I don't have the time. I don't feel good enough to go and be social. But then I'll make myself go, and I almost always have a good time. Well, that's good though. It, it's part of the the introversion as well. Yeah. It's like, do I really want to do this? And it's like, ah, oh, fuck it, let's go. <laughs> I feel, yeah, yeah, I feel like I've definitely got some introversion. Like, I'm, I can spend massive amounts of time by myself, you know, and during quarantine, I was by myself a ton, right. you know, and, you know, weeks, it seemed like. And um, But the, um, 
but I also like enjoy socializing. So I think it's kind of like it's almost like a social gas tank that just doesn't have as much fuel as some people's. Understandable. You know, and it runs out. <laughs> you know, yeah. and when you it have runs to take out, the time for when sure. it runs out, I'm done. You know, right. like I'm I'm in the back of the show, not talking anymore, just doing what you're supposed to be doing, paying attention to the band. Definitely. What's currently in your CD player? I've been digging into some early 2000 stuff again. So heavier stuff that I don't think too, you know, they were too big, but like um, Modern Life is War. Okay. Um, the Hope Conspiracy. Um, but um, right now, as far as like newer stuff, um, kind of some of the more, I don't know what you would call this music. Like it's a, uh, it's metal, but it's it's almost like I don't want to say it's math metal, but it's reminiscent of Dillinger's Day Plan and things like that. Like okay. there's a band called The Armed. Uh, I'm digging a lot. Okay. Um, a band called Frontier, which is really good. Um, and a band called Sectioned. They all have a kind of similar sound. Um, okay. Very fast. You know, nice. Like, very very heavy. Like. It's, it's so obnoxiously heavy, I can't really play it in the tattoo shop. You know, and you, you think, oh, it's a tattoo shop, you do that, but I'm not trying to assert, you know. Right. You know, it's, I, I, I think in tattoo shops, you play it to the audience. You know, if you got a couple of, like, you know, you got a couple older ladies in here getting tattooed, I'm not blasting, you know, anything. I'm not playing Slayer all day. Right. You know, and I still love Slayer. I, I got to do, you know, I got to be, um, meet up with Hatebreed a couple of times while they were on tour with Slayer. So I've met the guys from Slayer before. And right. Like, you know, and it's just like, you know, what a bunch of nice guys. And just, uh, you know, hey, we were talking about Metallica earlier and I was so into Metallica when I was like eighth grade, ninth grade. And then around that same time I discovered Slayer. And I feel like Slayer killed Metallica for me. I understand that. It was right around the time the Black Album was about to come out. And it was like the Black Album came out. And I loved that album. But that was the end of it. Right. And then it was like, Slayer took me in this other direction, you know, and, and you know, it was, uh, it's kind of like, you know, a Judas Priest, it's like, Judas Priest even did that for me in, in certain ways when I discovered Judas Priest, because I was listening to Sabbath and things like that, and then you had this, like, almost like, I don't even know how you would describe it, like, biker glam, that was like... What? Yeah, yeah, that's probably a good, that's probably accurate. Yeah, but it was, <laughs> but it was so, like, heavy and awesome but like artsy and like mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't get enough of it but um but yeah they're um I'm always trying to find new bands I feel like for sure um I know um I've yeah I've been I've been on a power trip um listened to a lot of power trip lately cause, okay um, well, definitely cause, cause he passed away and I uh, that band man they never made anything I didn't like Right. Um, and when you find a band like that, it's it's special. Yeah. Yeah, it, they're... Um, man, what a powerful band. But um, I really like... Uh, I like Inter Arma. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No, I'm not. Uh, super kind of all over the place, but every album they put out, I feel like, is really strong. Uh, they tour a lot with a band called Gate Creeper. Okay. I enjoy them a lot. And... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of. I, I can go down a long, you know, road right, with this long kind of road of music there. Yeah. What's what are you currently reading? I've been a little all over the place with that. Um, for a while, I was reading a lot of um, 
kind of graphic novels that were about, like I just read the trilogy of March. It's just called March. And it's about uh, John Lewis, who was uh, Congressman John Lewis, who okay. passed away this year. And it's about his uh, the civil rights movement in the 60s and his uh, plight to get voter rights for African Americans. Right. So that was a three trilogy graphic novel set. Um, okay. As far as uh, novels and stuff, I haven't been reading as many novels. I've been working a lot, so my eyes get tired mm -hmm. at night. Um, mainly, mainly graphic novel stuff. Um, but uh, I've been trying to find some good horror stuff, which usually ends up with um, kind of reading a book called A Walk A Walk Through Hell. It's by Garth Ennis. Okay. Yeah, and it's just uh, about some people getting trapped in a warehouse. They're police officers. They get trapped in a warehouse and. They realize that they're actually in hell, and it's very hellraiser filling. Wow, displaced reality. Yes, yes. I love the I love all the hellraiser films. Um, man, what a what a franchise. Oh yeah, with Clive Barker. Oh, Clive Barker. I mean, Night <laughs> Nightbreed, uh, Rawhead Rex. Mm -hmm. I think Rawhead Rex was his first film, and it's so rough, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. What is your greatest achievement? Oh wow! And I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Um, I don't have any children, so I feel like that's a you know that's that's a. Up until recently, that was almost never said. Really? Yeah. And then I've had quite a few people here in the last few months worth of interviews start to mention, well, my kid or my kids or my greatest in, achievement. In the, to preface it, that I don't think having a kid is the greatest achievement. I think raising a kid properly is, a, is the greatest achievement. Right there. Um, I agree. I guess I could say like some of, you know, I, I, I really enjoy doing things that are good. Like I really want to have an impact on the world in some way and I struggle with it. Um, I'm starting a art program at St. Joseph's Foster Home. Okay. And just teaching kids how to design characters for comics and things like that. I've been laying it out with another friend of mine, just how we can do it. It, it got put to a, to a halt because of COVID. Right. Um, but, but yeah, during, um, you know, during the quarantine, I had a little, I had more free time and I was able to put some energy in painting, some paintings of civil rights leaders that I felt like were a little bit more obscure that maybe if you saw these paintings, you would look them up and like learn a little bit about them. And, I was able to donate all that money, and um, but I've, I've definitely been feeling a calling in later in life to um, give back somehow, and, I, and I'm struggling with it also, you know, because right. you know while I feel like sometimes when I tattoo, yeah, I'm changing somebody's appearance, you know, maybe I'm covering up something that made someone self-conscious. It's giving them, you know, the ability to wear some clothing they didn't want to at some point, or maybe they're getting therapy out of it, like you talked about. But I don't feel like it's the job that. You know, like the guy I tattooed yesterday who's literally saving people's lives who have cancer. You know, right. but um, yeah, as far as achievements, I mean, I don't know any any real specific. Well, know. maybe it hasn't happened yet. Maybe, yeah. it's, maybe it's to come. Yeah, I mean, I know as far as goals and stuff, you know, getting my book done was a big one. Right. You know, but I don't think achievements and goals would really, they're kind of similar, but I don't think it's the same. I, right, I agree. Yeah. You know, because an achievement would be like selling a thousand copies or a, a, yep. a million copies of, of it. Mm -hmm. But 
the goal is getting it done. Yes. Getting the, the product done to get to that point. Yeah, so yeah, it's a little bit different. Yeah, and that definitely interests me more than, I guess, the, you know, for me it's making it. Just like we're talking about remodeling a house. It's, it's making it more so than, uh, you know, what I'm going to do with it at the end. Right. You know, am I going to keep it for 20 years and sell it for however much money I could get out? You know what I mean? Because, you know, this or that. Um, but yeah, may, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe um, I just haven't reached it yet. But I, I do know that I have a, I feel like a, a strong feeling that, that I, I need to get back to the community and the, the world in some way. And I think that even the quarantine, all the time I spent alone was um, good for me mentally in that regard, like trying to figure out what I want to do. And, right. You know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. Just, Absolutely I do. Most overrated tattoo design hmm. to you. The one thing that you could sit there and say, I really don't want to do that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I've um, done hundreds of them, not doing any more. What is it? Right now would be uh, the, the pocket watch tattoo. It's, it is, the design of it, it, it just does not work with the body ever. <laughs> and, and and though I haven't done a ton of them, I've done a handful. I know some guys who have done, you know, forty or fifty of them. Oh wow! And it's what happens is these tattoos circulate through Pinterest, so and they take off and they look they look cool, but also it turns into this thing where I want a date tattooed on me, which is fine. You know, everybody has important dates, so like, but then I could put the time, and then I could put it in this pocket watch, and then I could do this, and it, and it literally turns into just a reproduction of the same tattoo over and over and over and over. Right. Kind of like the uh, the forearm forest. Yes, the forearm forest or the forearm uh, tiger. Like Flames. Yeah, like yeah. The, you'll see the where the person turns their arm sideways and it's like the eyes of the tiger and the nose. Oh, yeah. It, it, and it's just like this like weird angle and I guess they hold it in front of their face or something. I don't know, but yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. It, um... Yeah, that's, that's, I feel like, I, I wish that those people would come in and just like talk to their tattoo artist more because they probably have ideas that they don't even realize would work. Those, those tattoos, I feel like, come from a place of struggling with just, I want to get tattooed and I don't know what to get. Right. You know? I, I can see that. And it's like, and it's very hard as a tattooer to come to a complete agreement over something that's permanent on someone with a total stranger. You right. know, because people are always like, like, how happy are you when someone says, do whatever you want? And I'm like, well, it depends on how much I know the person. If I know their personality, yeah, I can probably help steer them into the direction of something real cool. If I don't know them at all, I don't know what to give them. Right. Because I'm not going to just be like, okay, awesome. I'm going to do this super crazy metal looking design on some guy who's, you know, doesn't know who Iron Maiden is. You know, it's not, not that he's not deserving. He just isn't aware of that kind of art. You know, he doesn't know who Pusset is. No. He doesn't see the influence, you know. And I'm not just going to throw something on someone because... They say you know, do whatever you want. Yeah, and, and I think it's cool. You know, they, they're the ones that have to live with it. Once it's out the door, I mean, I see a picture of it, but I don't really see it. Right. You know, I want whoever's getting tattooed to be stoked on what they have as long as, you know... As long as they're going to have it. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Uh Certain places that I know refuse to do tattoos on, mm -hmm. in certain places of your body. 
do you have any limits personally? Uh, aside from a shop setting, is there anywhere on anybody's body that you won't personally tattoo? To be honest, not really. Um, but I have stipulations with young people coming in and wanting like hand or face tattoos. Um, I'm kind of old school like that. Like I, I have my neck tattooed. That's really the you know the, the big visible tattoo that I have. Um, but I have most of my body tattooed before I did that. And I always thought that way. I was like, I want to have sleeves. I want to have, you know, my legs done before I start branching out into my hands and my neck. Um, so that always comes into play. I'm like, well, you don't have your arms done, but you want your hand tattooed. Right. And why do you want that? You know, and it always goes back to a place of attention. And it's like, you think you want that attention, but you don't know what you're getting into at 18. Um, how limiting that can be on you. And now with uh, Instagram and stuff like that, it's very popular for someone to come in and want their face tattooed and never had a tattoo. Wow. Like little small things, like because you see people like Post Malone and people like that, that are, their, their faces are covered. Right. And regardless if you think it looks good or not, they're in a different tax bracket than we are. You know? Very much. They don't have to think, they, Post Malone's never had to think about money. No, you know he's you know he, he's not going to. So the idea of coming in and getting like lettering above your eye eyebrow or something blows me away. And I'm always the I feel like the voice of reason. Like, you don't want that, you know. And it you know. but fortunately because I don't really do walk-ins as much anymore at this point in my career, I don't deal with a lot of that. Um, I'll, I'll have I'll deal with the public, but I'm not the one a lot of times doing the tattoo. A lot of times it's like a younger tattooer or whatever, and I can kind of preface it for them. Be like, hey, you know, you need to really think about that. And one way, one thing that's good is to a lot of times to have them think about it for a couple weeks and come back. Right. Which either results in them changing their mind or they just go somewhere else. But you don't have it on their conscience. Definitely, because it is a big decision. Yeah, it's a, oh, it's, it's a huge, huge decision to. Body modification is a huge decision, no matter what it is that you're doing. I mean, so yeah. always, never take it lightly. I got my forearm, my right forearm, done in '96, and at that point, I still had people who would change the side of the street that were walking towards me, you know, because I had tattoos. And you know, that's not a thing anymore. But you know, it's like some ladies walking down the street, and you're walking up, and you know. You'd look like some sort of, you know, at the time it was like, I looked like, you know, a hardcore kid, right. you know, and it like, maybe I, to them, I probably looked like I was in a gang or something, you know, and they would, you know, change the side of the street they were walking on or, or look at me a little bit weird. And, you know, and I'll, you know, that got, that got better, but there does come a form of discrimination with it. Definitely. And from employment standards, if you work a Joe job. Yep. Uh, to again, just on the street, somebody either changes side, gives you a wide berth, yep. something like that. Yeah, there is a a discriminatory. Oh, we were going. Um, me and uh, my friend Steve, who has his hands and neck and stuff tattooed, we were driving to Nashville to see the band Quicksand. They were doing like a reunion tour. Okay. And um, speaking of Tool, that's a band that was pre-Tool that I feel like sounds like Tool. Okay. You know, that Tool had to have heard this band. 
<laughs> no. Not that Tool's not amazing, but they had to have a little influence right. on them. Um, so we're driving down there, and my friend is reaching up and messing with the visor and, uh, in my car as we're going past the cop. And I was like, I was like, man, you might want to put your hand down just in case, you know, like, because, you know, you don't want to get profiled or anything, you know, and, and yeah, we got pulled over, and he checked both our IDs, and luckily, you know, it went pretty smooth, but I've been profiled ever since I've had my forearms that dude, like, and usually it's been okay, you know, but it's definitely a real thing. Right. You know, it's, uh, you know, because, you know, in a way, I guess, you know, profiling, you know, you're looking for people who are doing bad things, you know, and I guess if you kind of have that look, you know, you may get pulled over or stopped or, you know, so I imagine if an 18 year old kid has a bunch of face tattoos, it's a good chance that anytime he's driving around, he or she may just get pulled over right. for, for not doing much of anything. Right. You know, for being a good, uh, well-adjusted citizen that sure. uses their left and right turn blinker. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to politely say that, you know, yeah, it's, there, there is a certain, like, um, stigma with it. Right. You know, right. I, I never want to ruin somebody's life. Right. Absolutely. You've been to a lot of shows, been to a ton of shows. Mm-hmm. Tell me somebody you wish you never saw live. Ooh. Um, like, it, you, you're such a fan of the band, but seeing them live completely ruined it for you. There's been there's been a couple, but they're not real big fans. I was pretty big. If it's incriminating evidence on the current bands, no, um, <laughs> you you don't have to answer. <laughs> there's an instrumental band that I really really enjoy painting to, uh, Godspeed Your Black Emperor. Okay. And they're borderline like the early self metal, you know. And uh, um, what a horrible horrible display of music live. <laughs> wow. It was, it was the headliners, and it was just. I think, you know, I think a lot of it may have been there, you know, the sound. There was just so much going on, so many things going wrong. Right. And, um, but, um, I guess, you know, a lot of it for me has been meeting people and they just turn out to not be awesome. Right. You know, and they turn me off. Um, I will say this without saying who in the band, but, uh, I'm a Uber Slayer fan and I, got to talk and meet with one of one of the guys for quite a while and uh, he almost made me not like the band anymore. Wow. Yeah. And uh, very, uh, yeah, just very off-putting. He was, uh, you know, how much longer are you going to be on the tour? You know, and I'm like, oh, I'm leaving tomorrow. Oh, well, I was going to let you tattoo me. And then it went on to tell me how great of a thing that would have been for me. You know, and I was like, okay. Oh, I see what you mean. Like, yeah, what can I do for you? Yeah, and I was like, <laughs> cool, cool. I'm just sitting there the whole time. Like, I never said anything. I just was like, okay. And I remember when I came home from that, I, it took me a little while to listen to to the band again, just because there was a lot. There was a lot said. And it was just the the. But man, the the weighing it out with the other guys are all so awesome. It was just like, yeah, you know, right. Fred Durst was my guy. Yeah. Yeah, completely ruined it. Yeah, uh, seeing him just be a complete bastard. <laughs> well, that's that's done it to me before too. When when you see people talk to their fans. Oh no, no, this was backstage. Oh yeah, at a okay. show. Okay, and he was a complete bastard to everybody in the oh, in the okay. in the uh, dressing room. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, you know, it's like the reason I didn't say this guy's name is because 
everybody idolizes him. Oh, I get it. I get you know, it. And I don't mind name dropping Fred Durst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, in the, in the metal community, this is, you know. I get it. It's a name. And it's like, I don't want to make anybody dislike that band because Slayer's amazing. Oh, definitely. definitely. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't say enough nice things about, you know, three-fourths of the band. You know? <laughs> it's a... Uh, who would you have liked to have seen? And it, because you you're an artist, and mm-hmm. you know, and you have a love for music, who would you have liked to have seen perform music or tattoo? If money or time would, was no object, like who I would go get tattooed by, or or yeah, go get tattooed by, or see a band live that you had never been able to see because of time, like somebody had passed away and like Led Zeppelin in yeah. their in their heyday. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Or maybe like a you know, an Ed Hardy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Who would you um, have who would you have liked to have experienced? I tell you I'll tell you the truth, and I and I have seen the incarnation of of Sabbath. Um but Sabbath when I, you know, was too young to see them, right? I think was a completely different. A different so you're talking seventies, yes. Sabbath, first run, but really any of that that time, you know, like Priest, you know, because like, oh. you know it's like seeing these bands later is awesome, but but they're already acclimated. It's and, not the same thing, and it's the machine at that point. Yes, absolutely, yes. and um, yeah, it um, yeah, I feel like Sabbath. Also, I never saw Faith No More, and and I know that Faith No More got back together and did some touring, or were supposed to this year. Right. Um, I think they did some touring the last couple of years off a new album or something. I, I, I kind of listened to it, you know, wasn't really that into it, but um, yeah, I felt like they were on tour recently, with, and they were with a couple bands I liked too, like Helmet and somebody else. Yeah, I think I remember something. No, you know what it was? You're talking about Fred Durst and the, um, it was Korn. Oh, okay. And I'm not a, uh, I like the first Korn album, but I'm not a fan of Korn. Um, right. But that's what it was. They were going to play this year, and I was thinking about going because Faith No More and Helmet were open for Nice. And I figured, oh, I could just leave if Korn sucked, which I'm sure they would not suck. Right. I just don't know their music. Right. You know, the, the stuff now. Yeah, because when you know when I started tattooing, that's when Limp Biscuit first came out, and the second Corn album was coming out, mm-hmm. and it was turning very much into like this rap rock kind of thing. Right, and, and it was fine. I was okay with it, you know. It, um, but then it just got to be too much, you know. I just it was it just wasn't my thing. I, I'm still a fan of the Deftones. Oh, and, absolutely. And they came out of that, which I'm always it's funny, always appreciative of that, you know. First time I ever saw the Deftones was February of 1999. Hmm. They were on tour with Black Sabbath in the reunion tour. Okay. And Pantera. Oh, wow. And I saw them in Dayton, Ohio. And I was actually just talking with somebody about this the other day Hmm. and how much they had changed between... February when I saw them mm-hmm. in June when I saw them again on Ozfest. Oh, yeah. Like they it's like they blew up yeah, overnight. Yeah. Oh yeah, thing. yeah. I saw them in I saw them with one biscuit. Oh at wow the, at the brewery. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Thunderdome. Um, Missed that place. 
First oh, yeah. concert I ever went to, first big band concert was at the Thunderdome. Really? Yep. Oh. Social D. Okay. Yeah. I saw Social Distortion there once. Yeah. Uh, you know who else I saw there, which was really interesting, and I never got into the music, was uh, Insane Clown Posse. Like, uh, I, would, I <laughs> yeah, like, I could not get over these guys. And this was in the 90s, before they were right. real, real big. But I saw a bunch of good shows. I saw Guar there, you know, and like... Just so many good, you know. I saw Cannibal Corpse and Corn there with uh, Fear Factory. Oh yeah, probably '96. Yeah, yeah, ish for and sure. Man, they were heavy. Yeah, Corn was heavy at that and point. Then, and then that album came out, the first one, and it was it was heavy. Like, and then I don't know what happened. They uh, evolved into something else. Right. They changed, changed, and changed an entire generation of music. Oh, I absolutely. Uh, granted, it. I don't think it's necessarily made a comeback. Yeah. As of yet, it might. Everything comes around again, they say. But we're getting back into the thrash era, so. Yeah. Yeah, but, and man, talking about Power Trip earlier. Like, right. Oof. What, uh, you know, how to be a throwback band but still be so, like, not. In, you know, into, like, the, into now, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like, they remind me of so much, I can't even put my finger on it. You know, as much as I love headliners. Mm-hmm. I would seriously love to have seen so many of these bands today yeah. at the Thunderdome. Just because oh, yeah. of the way of the stage set up. Well, where you had that, where you walked down into that pit, and they have sat in the corner oh, yeah, and yeah. played, and you had the catwalk around the top. Yeah. Such a awesome venue. Miss it. Oh, yeah. I can, yeah, that, yeah, that venue, I saw, I believe it was um, Endpoint's last show there. Oh wow! And I don't know if you knew this when you interviewed Chad Castetter, but you know he played mm-hmm. Endpoint. Yeah, and, definitely. Uh, Endpoint was a huge band, like for me, just like because they were local, but they also like, you know, just the ideas they were pushing and stuff. Right. Like, um, and uh, they were always they were much bigger than I ever realized they were. Right. You know? And um, yeah, same thing with um, you know I saw King Horse a couple of times. And, wow. And King Horse, man. And you know, we talked about this earlier, and here's the shout out too, to Pusshead on that, oh, because yeah. he did the album artwork for mm-hmm. King Horse, which, if you're not familiar, you can always tell him by his uh, line work and mm-hmm. his skulls, yep. all look ridiculously good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that album was produced by... Glenn Danzig. By Danzig, and... I went to, I took a bus, I think. Yeah, I took a bus, I believe, to that show in Cincinnati. And King Horse was supposed to play. They were supposed to open, and they ended up breaking up. But it was King Horse, supposed to have been King Horse, Danzig, Suicidal Tendencies, Metallica. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I remember the singer from Suicidal had broken his leg, and he was sitting on a couch the whole time. Oh, wow. Can you imagine this maniac full of energy, like... He had crutches, and he kept trying to get up on his crutches, and like, you know, like, the thing about Suicidal is, it wasn't that they were, like, technically this insane band, they were just full of energy, and, like, they were such a good live band. Right, well, they were an insane band, like, lyrically, I think. Yeah, yeah. Like, from the, the subject matter, but as it, as it come with, like, musicality, they were totally, like, yeah, up yeah. and up. Yeah, because there's some bands you can see that... You know, they're so good, they could literally just stand there and play their instruments, do nothing, and you're just floored by the music. And then there's some bands that it's just, like, the energy you get from. You know, like, thinking about, like, 
I never saw Bad Brains, but I would imagine Bad, oh, bad Brains would have been the same. Definitely. You know, like, just that, that the, you know, the singer's energy. Oh, yeah. Playing on the on a concrete floor at a hardcore show. Yeah. And just, even when you're, you know, in their 40s mm-hmm. and, and stuff. Definitely, definitely awesome stuff. That's one thing I wish I could have been old enough to see as well is... Mm-hmm. The the DC hardcore scene in the eighties, oh, yeah. you know, just because, just as much as the thrash scene was mm-hmm. all over the United States, the hardcore scene was too. Oh yeah, but it's different in every market. Sure, like sure. the New York scene was not as uh, not as the same as it was in DC or in LA or in the DC scene was more political. Oh yeah, because it's the political headquarters of our country. Um, you know, Minor Threat and Fugazi, you know, like, Fugazi, I still listen to Fugazi. Oh, yeah. Um, there was a band that I loved from, I believe they are from D.C., um, called Hoover. I really loved that band. And then close to there is Richmond, Virginia, has an incredible right. scene. Oh, yeah. And Avail is from there, and Avail's one of my favorite bands ever. They, I'd actually had tickets to go to a festival to go see the reunion tour this year, and I think that was in May, and then it got pushed to September, and then it just got canceled. Was that Money Roots? They played Money Roots last year. Okay. This year was a Furnace Fest okay. in Alabama, and there was just like a bunch of bands that were reuniting, getting together. Living Sacrifice was playing, like a wow. bunch. Of, you know, it was like a bunch of. It was weird the lineup, but it was about sixty bands, and I would say there was thirty that I wanted to see. Oh, definitely. And that, and it, that that never happens to me on a festival. No, usually it's three or four. You know, maybe I'll watch 10 or 12 and then I'm burnt out. Oh, And yeah. I was like, I'm going to struggle with this one. Because there's 30-something bands I want to see. And you're three or so, four stages yeah. maybe, and it's yeah. probably over two or three days. And it's it's hard to get to each point that you want to, okay. It's yeah. like going to the amusement park. I get, yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, recently I saw, I kind of hate to say this, but... but you know, I was at the Louder Than Louder Than Life Festival, right? Um, and I went to see. My lady wanted to see this band called All All Them Witches. Okay. And um, there's like stoner kind of stuff, I guess. Um, and I wanted to see Graveyard. And we had we had gotten tickets, like someone gave us tickets, and we were like, "That's all we're gonna see." And then we were like leaving the festival. We've been there for a couple hours, right? And then I start hearing. Um, the song Walk play. And I'm like, okay, that sounds kind of awful, but good. Right. I'm like, that man sounds just like Phil. Like, but the band it sounded kind of rough. You know, and I was like, and I got up on, on and, I, and I feel like I was, I was like, am I watching Pantera? And then I realized it was like Phil and Samo and some, some other band. But the it illegals. wasn't, it wasn't down or anything. No, it's the Illegals. Okay. Yeah. And it wasn't like, how do I put it? The band's not bad at all. It was actually pretty good. They're not Pantera. Right. And I feel like Phil was fine because he was in Pantera, but these guys, it, they definitely could not do what Pantera did. Right. Uh, recently had that experience to see them with Slayer okay. on the end of the road or whatever they were calling it mm-hmm. uh, tour. I think end of the road was the Kiss tour. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh 
the the slayer no fucks given to her. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> uh, but they they had Phil and Somo and the illegals opening up for them, and it was it struck me as odd to see them and have two guitar players in a band that originally only had one guitar yeah. player and the one guitar player who would play lead yeah. would play harmonized lead with a pedal yeah. as opposed to having two guitar players play harmonized <laughs> lead together. I yeah. was like, what is this shit that I'm watching? Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a clusterfuck. Right. Yeah. But, I mean, top-notch guys, I'm sure they're great at, yeah. in their own regard for... I mean, shit, they're playing with Phil. Yeah. And... Phil's not a slouch, honestly, when it comes to uh, putting together bands. I, I, I'll tell you a thing with, um, yeah, like, I kind of got to meet Phil on Ozfest. Okay. He came, he came on the bus. Um, Phil's a, um, he, he's one of those people that, you know, I didn't even talk to him. He was a few people away from me. I you know, He was kind of out of it. Right. You know, to be polite, he was very out of it, but, but not, you know... He almost looked like he was asleep, and he'd been riding. I'd seen him on a golf cart all day with his handler, and he was just nodding off. You know, I get you know very tired, whatever you want to say. Right. <laughs> but but man, to get on stage, it was like somebody plugged him in for fucking forty five minutes to an hour, and then they unplugged him, and it's it, like professional. You know what I mean? Right. But but also like I think when that happened was at the height of him, you know, being like, you know, partying. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah I've I've heard he has since calmed down a lot, but not entire, not entirely, but a lot. So yeah, that era, you know, the the early two thousands yeah. stuff for them, the late nineties. Yeah, he had a handler basically to keep him from taking stuff from people, from things. Right. Like people would just hand him things, and he'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." Yep. Yeah. Yep. Just eat whatever someone gave him. <laughs> yeah. And, for sure. You know, so. The fact that he's still around making music is pretty impressive. I just I didn't even know he was on that bill. You know what I mean? And and it was at that point three o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday. Wow! You know? And I'm wow. like, I just want to get out of the heat. Yeah. You know because you know? that has been the last few years have been uh, when they did get to have it. Because I think they didn't get to have it last year, and they haven't got to have it this year. Mm-hmm. But it had been really hot. It was ridiculously yeah. hot. And I know that they had talked about this year possibly having. Rage Against the Machine. Right, but it, it, it Rage of it is only doing a handful of shows, mm-hmm. and they had not committed, but I think the one that they were doing, they were all going to be donated to, like, political relief. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah, it's crazy about that. It's, um, with Rage, like, I've always struggled with Rage. Like, I love them, but, you know, there's always been, like... Me too. I always yeah. struggle with rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that too, that too. But uh, we talked about Krishna hardcore, Krishna core. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, what is the singer's name for Ray James Machine? Zach Del Roca. Yeah, Zach Del Roca. Uh, he he sang for a hardcore band I loved as a kid called Inside Out. Right. And if you ever look up Inside Out, that is a Krishna core band. Okay. So he was a hard Krishna. For a little bit, because this was a movement through the hardcore scene. They were recruiting kids right. into being Krishnas, and I'm not even sure what the Krishna belief system is, but I think it's pretty peaceful. I don't think it's anything crazy. But um, 
Yeah, you know, because we were talking about Shelter, and I always loved this band called 108. Okay. They were a Krishna band. One of the heaviest things you'll ever listen to. It's so heavy and obnoxious, but just this. But it's wild to think of these guys that, you know, would be, you know, handing out flowers at the airport. They have shaved heads and a little ponytail on the back. Right, right. You know, right. and it's like in their, you know, their monk outfit, you know, but, but yeah. Um, and then they're tearing it up. Yeah, at yeah. A show. But but knowing that he was in you know Inside Out, how political that was, it even grew into this huge political thing, right? You know, with Rage Against the Machine, and there was a meme going around for a while that was some some kid had commented on their page and said something about them, you know, wishing that um, you know, well, I like your music better when you separated the uh, the politics from it or something. <laughs> And somebody commented, and they're like, "What machine do you think they were raging against?" Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That is so awesome. <laughs> so, I have one more question. Okay. But before we do that, do you have any shout-outs you want to give to people? People, places, things. Yeah. Um, Who do you want to? Well, first, first of all, I'm, I'm, I just wanted to say, give the shop a follow too. Um, yeah, you know, definitely. Spring Street Tattoo. Um, all the guys that I'm working with now are very genuine people who are really pushing the art form. Um, very innovative tattooing coming out of here. Um, we were talking about Nick earlier. Nick Bergs, Chad Castetter, definitely. Know, Brian Omer. Um, check out all their music. Um, my friend Sean Martin, who I was talking about, his bands, you know, not just Hate Breed, uh, Wear Your Wounds. Um, Twitching Tongues. Uh, he's he's been in a ton of different bands. He was in One Hundred Demons. Like, okay, but um, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I guess that's you know, I just you know, just musicians and stuff that are you know, people that you know we're friends with and stuff. Definitely, definitely. Uh, you can always check out the uh, Nick Burke's uh, War Cloud episode in the archives along with the Chad Castetter from the band Worms and Brian Omer from the band Stonecutters in the archives as well. So, awesome. And tell everybody how they can follow you on social media. Um, as of right now, I just have the Instagram. Okay. It's Steve Gatros on Instagram. I think it's just, how would you say that? At Steve Gatros. Yes, at Steve Gatros. Uh, I'll include a link down okay. below and they'll be able to see your art and everything else on there. And then um, the Spring Street page, which is Spring Street Tattoo. That's just add Spring Street Tattoo. Definitely. And, uh, yeah. All right. So the morbid question mm -hmm. is, because this is the month of Halloween and the month yeah. of spook, how would you like to die? Oh. I know how I'm scared to die. <laughs> I don't like any... Uh, I always had a fear of drowning, so let's let's stay as far away from water as we can. You and me both. <laughs> um, I think, like anyone, you know, if I could accomplish a good amount of stuff and then maybe go in my sleep, you know, I wouldn't mind going out high off my brain. You know, just you know, there's been some times in the hospital, you know, where you know it's been pretty harrowing, but there's also been times where like they gave me medicine and I was like, okay. I can just go to sleep now, and I'd be I'd be okay. You know what I mean? And right. It's very very peaceful. I wish everyone could pass away like that. Why? Wow. You know, like just uh, peacefully in their sleep if they can. You know, but uh, I don't know if that's the, the right kind of answer. But no, I think that that's a great great answer to that question because 
you know, it's either typically that or yeah. with my sword in my hand and sure, sure. you know, going, well, no, I mean, going I, for it. I totally believe in the the anthem or whatever of you know dying on your own sword. Yeah, I don't think that you you should build kingdoms for other people on your on your back. And if you have a means or a way to do something for yourself to where you can build for your future, and it's going to be taking a huge risk and a huge chance, that to me is you know that's awesome because essentially that is dying on your own sword you know you're putting everything into something that may not work but at least you're not doing it for somebody else who maybe doesn't deserve it or you know what i mean definitely you could sacrifice yourself for someone who deserves it all day long but if they you know most of the time or a lot of the time i guess you could say people work for people who don't put the work they put into it right and they're building something for you know we're seeing it right now you know with all the you know the you know, I don't know much about it, but you know, you keep hearing about these billionaires making all this money during COVID. And it's just like the little guys are getting crushed. Yeah. So, so yeah, die on your own sword, please. <laughs> Definitely, I agree a hundred percent on that. So, Steve, thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, again, check the links below. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, dude. This has been a long time coming. We've been talking about doing this yeah. for like a year now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> since we were on the FM show. Yeah, I would say I think I. We met in August of last year. Something like that. Yeah. So just a, just a little over a year, yeah. finally got it done. Well, COVID has really... Right. Has, I, mean, I don't think this year is a fair balance of anything. I can't believe it's October. I'm surprised that I've still been able to put out episodes weekly. Yeah. But, again, it's the internet and it's the phone. Yep. You know, the phone has been... You did Nick and Chad's through the phone. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Uh, Brian was actually the last in-person interview I had before COVID. Okay. And then I had one in-person during, and now that some restrictions have been lifted, yourself and I had uh, the band She. Yeah. Uh, for last week's episode. Or mm-hmm. A recent episode. Yeah, because I assumed that you did the, one of the guys from Idle Hands. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I assumed that was like phone or internet. Yes, yes, yes. It was uh, It was through the phone. It was uh, Gabe Franco from Idle yeah. Hands. What a good band. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, I don't know if you follow. Give Me the Night or whatever song. That's oh. Like. Man, first time I heard that, I was like, whoa. Definitely. Like, what a throwback, but yet modern. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, there's a lot of... It, they're so cool. Like, <laughs> seeing them with King Diamond is where yeah. I saw them at. Uh, and that's how I'd heard of them. But uh, shout out to them as well because, you know, they actually had to go through a name change. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, something to do with the trademark office. Wouldn't wouldn't allow them to trademark idle hands hmm. for music purposes or something like that. Weird. So now they are unto others. Hmm. So. That's unfortunate. I always hate to hear that kind of stuff. Definitely. Like, there's, yeah, there's been so many of those cases throughout. Oh, yeah. You know, it's. I, again, the parallels of tattooing and music, you know, it's naming a tattoo shop. Right. It's like, I see that happen a lot where it's, oh, well, there's already, you know, a band named that, or there's a, there's a shop named that, or... Right. Like we spoke about Home, you know, there's Nathan's band, Home, the local yeah. band, you know, incredible band, instrumental band, and then there's the National, right. you know, which is... Spelled the, differently, yes, but... It's like, oh, is it O-H? L-M and O-M. And then O-M is the guys from Sleep. Right. You know, and, of course, OM is the mantra. Yes. Yeah. So, 
yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Dude, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm going to look forward to coming back and maybe uh, get, get getting, some, yeah. getting some work done, I it think. It would be a pleasure. I'd love that. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. How to Vote is a tool created by Democracy Works. It breaks down the options your state offers for casting a ballot, empowering you to decide when and where to vote. Because voting isn't always about going to the polls on Election Day anymore. Options like early voting, mail-in voting, and ballot drop boxes are more available to voters these days and growing in popularity. Democracy works best when we all vote, but misinformation and confusion about election procedures have resulted in low voter turnout. How to Vote is a tool created by Democracy Works, and it takes the guesswork out of the voting process. Some of the things you can do with How to Vote is sign up for your election reminders, see what's on your ballot, get step-by-step assistance in requesting your mail-in ballot, check for voter registration status, Find your polling site and make sure you have the appropriate identification. Decide when and where you'll vote this year at howto.vote. Are you registered to vote? Headcount is a nonpartisan organization that works with the music and entertainment industry to get our fans to vote. It also allows you to update or check your voter registration status. Go to headcount.org where you'll find all the information you need to be ready for election day. At Headcount, you also can check your registration status. Millions of people purge their voter rolls every year. Everyone should check their status every year. The deadline to register to vote in some states is as early as October the 4th, so you want to check it before then. You can also request an absentee ballot, get early info on voting, and find your polling location, or see what's on your ballot. Register to vote today at headcount.org. Musicians rejoice. Confused with all the modern and technical pedal board selections? Look no further. Kentucky Hot Brown Pedal Boards offer their homemade wooden and custom pedal boards for guitarist and bassist alike. Established in 2013, KYHBPB has helped support not only the local Louisville scene, but a large array of big and small players from across the entire country. More info can be found at KentuckyPedalboards.com. 